What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Hey, hello. This is William with the Smart IT Podcast. And today I'd like to welcome Dan Holden to the show. Dan holds the esteemed prestige of being Chief Information Security Officer of an e-commerce firm that we will get him to describe a little bit more about his role. Dan has many experiences being on the front line of defending our organizations against a wide range of cyber threat actors, which we will get into. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show today. Thanks, William. I appreciate uh, you having me here. Looking forward to it. So, Dan, I, I was thinking about you. Um, I said, let's turn our focus. We're talking a lot about IT and this Smart IT Podcast, the framework of all the work that IT professionals do to design, architect, and bring up some very sophisticated architecture, right? Um, all in the support of supporting business disruption, business transformation, and just the day-to-day operations of business in the modern economy. Uh, so one of the things all this technology and infrastructure and capabilities provides is a nice target from the bad guys. So everything from nation states to criminal organizations to hacktivists. Uh, so I was thinking about, hey, let me get started on a Smart IT podcast from a security standpoint. Let me say, let me call up Dan, bring him on, get his perspective on what's going on and kind of the life of a CISO, right? I mean, this is a dedicated role uh, to run a security program to help IT kind of keep the business up and running. So I thought about you and I said, uh, let's bring you on board here because we focus in on this next decade for IT professionals and figure out how we keep our systems up and running and kind of defend our way of life. Wanted to get your perspectives on a couple of different topics. But first, I'll just kind of get an introduction from you and just kind of get a little feel for like, how did you get into the security space itself? Um, <clears throat> I'm an, uh, an old hacker from the 90s. Uh, came up in that scene. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was just like everyone sees in the movie Hackers, not the not the swirly pictures. The computers, of course, were not accurate. Um, but I think that movie is so endearing to so many of the people of that era because it, it does capture the, uh, the scene well. You know, there was a lot of funky clothes and rollerblades and, uh, you know, all, all the tropes. Um, and so it was a really, uh, fun time to come up. And of course it was really a hobby and a, a, a scene. And, um, I think everyone was a little surprised. Well, I was surprised that it, it ended up turning into a career. It wasn't my plan. Um, I was going to go into marketing. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's funny how things turn out. I still have a great affinity for marketing, but, um, I've always liked the business just as much as the technology. Um, but uh, amazingly enough, uh, there started to become some, some real companies in the nineties. Um, and so I, um, ended up working for a company called ISS or internet security systems for 
a dozen years as a part of X-Force, which is still alive and well under IBM. And uh, that's how and where I started. Um, and it's, I think it's shaped the way I view still this industry um, and, and my place in it. It's, um, I still very much view it as a community. And, you know, back then when we were, you know, kids, it was really about learning. Um, and these days, um, it's about, you know, taking all of that and uh, trying to apply it to the, the problems that um, have, have, you know, unfolded since then, which, as you highlighted in the intro, are, are many and vastly reaching. And I think it's incredible because in the 90s, really what we had was some movies, you know, it, going back to the 80s. You know, everybody knows war games and hackers and the net. And, and now those kinds of tropes are just plot lines for any movie at this point. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, I forget which Bond movie. I want to say it was Skyfall. You know, it, like if we see, uh, I mean, hell, uh, Independence Day. You know, uh, I mean, how many movies now where, you know, uh, hacking of some type is is uh, an issue or, or, or a computer system is at the core of a, a plot? Um, so, you know, the the I think the interesting thing is, you know, we've essentially had three decades of, of you know, InfoSec as we know it. Each one of those decades is entirely different than the previous, especially from a maturity standpoint. And so. Um, I think the real thing to realize for everyone, both in and outside of the industry, is it's still a very young practice, and we're learning a lot of lessons the hard way um, on all fronts, uh, whether at the practitioner level or technology or you know law and federal. So it, it's you know it, it went from a bunch of you know punk teenagers trying to learn how the the big tech worked to you know, if you combined all of cybercrime together, the largest criminal, you know, entity in, in human history and and from a defensive standpoint, one of the most difficult things any company can a, a, attempt to do is protect both themselves and their customers from it. And uh, I think we all know it's a, a daily headline at this point. So um, one hell of a ride, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, could you imagine when you first started this? years uh, ago and then fast forward to now and somebody coming in and say, Hey, Dan, it's possible that there could be a cyber attack and the business impact could be you're out of business. Yeah. I mean, you just think about that, right? I mean, cause we used to stuff like email security, you no know, do content filtering, make sure people don't go to bad sites. And that was kind of a big thing back then, right? A little malware, a little virus outbreak here and there. But now today we're talking about, Hey, your organization could literally be out of business. Step back and take a, you know, think about that right there and give me some of your thoughts about, you know, how did it hit you, hit you that reality? Yeah, I, it is interesting because you're right. We started with this uh, era of, you know, all the tropes that we know today, you know, they all started way back when. I think that's actually a very interesting aspect of things like DDoS or, or ransomware. Uh, they go back those full three decades, um, uh, you know, and so you, you started out with things like, you know, the Morris worm and uh, all the worms of, of the 90s and the 2000s that really they were interesting because they highlighted the problem to so many at once. Right. So rather than targeted attacks, 
um, which of course you had. I mean, that's most of us grew up on on uh, cuckoo's egg, and you know, there's your classic yeah. nation state, you know, sort of scenario. So we still see all those those same tropes, you know, play out. It's just that everything's scaled now. Um, the amount of money, the amount of information, it, it's just you know. Uh, I, I think it's also in sh- once you get into the nation state, of course, it's endless because. You know how was how was World War One or sorry World War Two? You know fought and won. It was so much of it was based on intel, and I think you know so many countries learned from that. And um, you know the spying that has occurred by by every nation has been um, immense. The spying that happens from a corporate standpoint is immense, and the spying that happens to us as consumers from the uh, applications and the uh, platforms that we use is immense. Um, I say that as a concerned and perhaps angry U.S. citizen. Uh, it's amazing that every other, yeah, that the rest of the world is is uh, chasing privacy law and somehow we, we are, are slow uh, on that front, which um, kind of amazes me, our lack of regulation. Um, however, uh, it's, it's, I think it's all about, you know, scale um, and how many people are involved now, you know. So if you go back, say, certainly 15, 20 years, you know, this stuff made headlines, sure, uh, but not at the rate it does today. I mean, everybody knows about it today. Everybody has their own personal stories, you know, even if it's just their own personal email or their, their, you know, social media accounts or their Xbox or PlayStation accounts or whatever the case might be. I mean, there are very few people that have not had some kind of issue. And so the amount of, of uh, visibility and uh, understanding is, is way beyond what we had years ago. And so if we're looking at positives, that's it. And, and it's, it's typically how human nature and human history play out. Um, you got to learn a lot of hard lessons. You got to go through a lot of tough stuff to come out the other side. And, and that's essentially going back to my comment about it being a very young practice. That's what we've been doing. And that's what we'll continue to be doing, uh, William, I, I would wager to say certainly for the rest of your and I's career um, and, and likely thereafter for some quite some period of time. In other words, it's it's going to be a while until we're at some kind of, you know, Star Trek level where computers are, are uh, helping us, uh, you know, as as opposed to uh, being this constant thing that we're worried about and, and attempting to defend or, you know, uh, not ne- be nearly as paranoid about. Well, a little side note here, since you mentioned Star Trek Huge and then uh, movies. Oh, Wrath of Khan, Star Trek 2. Oh, yeah. You do remember the plot line of how Kirk uh, was able to outwit Khan to uh, get the Reliant to drop his shields. Uh, Prefix code, almost like a, a password, right? Yeah. Uh, Com- computer to computer, ship to ship, remotely uh, controlling another vessel, drop the shields and have a surviving. So like you mentioned before, early on with some of the sci-fi movies, the ways that you have viruses, worms, uh, a way for someone to actually access a remote system is fascinating, right? So we'll be doing this way, way hundreds of years now. Absolutely. I was always fascinated with next generation, how they were authenticating, you know, when, when they were going to do something big, how Picard would authenticate with the, the, you know, the enterprise. Um, Once you start thinking about uh, a ship, of that magnitude and that power and how, you know, Jordy LaForge and, and all that crew is, is, yeah. you know, you've got people beaming back and forth. 
this sounds all really nerdy and it is, but you know, as a, as a security person, I, I end up thinking about that stuff all the time, mainly because if you're not thinking towards the future uh, and the challenges that we have today, you know, how are you going to make anything better? So I, it doesn't matter whether it's computer security or human society. I'm always thinking of Star Trek as a, as a, as a pleasant goal to chase. It is. It's because it's fascinating. We even map the enterprise to like a modern Navy ship today, right? right? Yeah. You know, not everybody can have access to the bridge, right? It's controlled access. So similar to our IT systems, controlled access. So even back in the day, the mainframes were always uh, concerned about some type of user credentials to figure out who can have access to what root access. So along we have humans, we need to, you know, differentiate, you know, client side versus user versus admin. We're always going to need to be like do positive identification. So I'm thinking the role of CISO is, uh, is going to continue to gain in prominence. Um, I figure the next 10 years will actually be that true C-suite player that, 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 that real, you know, it's not like a C-suite kind of a small C it's kind of a big C. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. Cause I find this topic endlessly fascinating. Um, because there's a lot of people that, that wonder if this is, you know, I literally heard it today, which is why I'm bringing it up. Um, CISOs wondering if this is really the job they want to be doing. Uh, <laughs> look at the amount of CISOs that have gone. Now, I my path was different. I did 20 years on the vendor side and, and decided that so many of the difficult problems at this point are not technology problems. And so I really wanted to move to the practitioner side. Um, to explore uh, several different facets. And I, I love uh, operational management. Um, and of course, you know, I've had a career of, of incident response uh, for, for a, many different uh, attack types. So I thought, well, you know, let's, let's see if all these skills can transfer in a positive way and, and you know, try and, and do something new and different. Um, but you see a lot of CISOs now going to the vendor side because it's just, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's it's different, and that different uh, can be yeah. can be good. Um, it's really interesting though, because everyone likes to talk about the fortunate two thousand. Everyone looks at the the big large enterprise CISOs uh, with with some kind of you know uh, respect and, and reverence, let's say. Uh, but but I it's interesting. Go look at the Fortune one hundred. And there are very, very few CISOs on anyone's website. Very, very few. Yeah. You know where CISOs are at on websites? Vendor sites. That's probably oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because it, the vendors are doing it, of course, to have a level of credibility. And there's been some interesting debate on LinkedIn about uh, a lack of respect for, for vendor-centric uh, CISOs, which I think is also interesting. The, the question being, are they real practitioners running an operational environment or are they really more of a sales tool? Um, and, and not to say that's a bad thing. Um, there can be a lot of benefits. Uh, and, and, and I think both you and I have seen that in terms of, of CISOs crossing over to the advisory consultancy side. You know, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but it is very interesting, I think. Everybody was looking for the SEC ruling to, to kind of help push that along. And to some extent it will. But yeah, this, the next 10 years, I think, will be very interesting and very telling. Um, and, and the question is really what, what does that role end up really looking like? You know, the, the problem I think with, and I'd be surprised if, if many CISOs disagreed with me on this, um, 
especially outside of the, the fortune level. You're so much of what you're focused on really is the operational piece, is really the technology piece and finding time for the strategic piece, which is fundamental to any any executive role, can be a challenge. Um, And I think because CISOs have come from so many backgrounds, uh, right, there was no security degree in the 90s, you know, and the question is really how much any of that really matters. So you've got so many people that, that kind of landed in the role, not necessarily by plan or desire, but just by happy accident. And, and they came from all sorts of different backgrounds, whether that be uh, audit or um, technology centric coming from maybe IT uh, or, or completely different areas, you know, um, many of them not necessarily a, a full career of security at all. Um, so as we were kind of growing up in this awkward stage of, of InfoSec, you know, that, that role has been uh, different and dynamic. And I think that's been one of the challenges. There is no formula for companies to chase. So they don't, you know, they don't know how to approach the role unless, uh, generally speaking, unless they're post-breach, right? Then they're really trying to make an effort to figure that out. Um, I always joke, you know, I, I, I talk about kind of three buckets uh, of risk that any company has to manage. You've got the compliance regulatory stuff that everybody has to do. You've got the market expectations, customer expectations, cyber insurance expectations. What is the level of due diligence that external entities uh, expect of you? And then you've got risk, you know, systemic risk. And that third bucket, everybody says they run a risk-based program, but it's very rare that they're actually running yeah. a risk-based program unless they're a post-breach company um, because everybody's got to be on board. Everyone's got to understand that risk. And that's why you hear so much talk about you know, executive support, board level support and understanding what level of communication is there, what level of reporting, all that stuff. We're just still having to figure all that out. Um, and, and to be frank, it's a hell of a lot easier to figure that stuff out if you have the support. If you don't, then it really takes a bad situation to, to get there. Um, uh, I'll, as a quick mention, I'll say that one yeah. of the things that's really you know pleased me about uh, big commerce is, is having that level of support. It's not that everybody has the right answer. Um, it's learning from all the prior mistakes and not repeating what others have done um, and, and then trying to figure out what the right answer for, for your business is. Yes, interesting. Now uh, we started thinking about the the history of the CISO role because at first it was like, okay, it's, it's all on the CIO's plate, and that they're spending all their time keeping systems out, and then all these initiatives to transform the business, right? Digital transformation. So they just were just too busy, right? So they say, hey, we need somebody else to really kind of think about the threat actors, what they're doing, to be both strategic and tactical at this threat level. So we kind of have people like VP, manager of security, all these interesting titles here to kind of offload this off the CIO, yeah. then they say, well, they need more help. Okay, so let's start to build out this team. But you're right, though. There's no defined path for getting to CISO level. Some might be more technical inclined. Yeah. Some might be more strategic, more business. So it's like, okay, if I'm invited to the board meeting, am I prepared to actually understand what they're talking about? Uh, which is Compared bad. to CFO. So yeah. yeah. I mean, get on YouTube and, and try and look it up. There, there's yeah. like one... Yeah. 
these days there's way more support and information out there and it's way more of a discussion than it used to be. But I mean, just a few years ago, they're really, I mean, you know, there, there's a, a great old uh, talk and, and presentation, I think on YouTube at this point, uh, that I think, uh, Sands did with a couple of CISOs back in the day, uh, which was kind of one of the, the very early kind of conversations and, and people discussing it. Um, but yeah, you know, the, I think the, the assumption by so many is that the board is another layer of management and, and that's not what a board is about at all. Um, they're about a level of, of oversight and, and governance. Yes. Um, but they are not another layer of management. And so, you know, you're not, you're not talking to them the same way you would be the, the, the CEO, for example. And so if, if you just show up with a bunch of metrics and say, we block stuff and we patch stuff, it, it, it you're, it's just not helping you or them. And so for, for all these various CISOs over the years, um, you know, depending on their background to have to, to figure that out. Uh, you know, it's, it's been an exercise for sure. Um, you know, I'll say, you know, thank you to, to the many that came before me, uh, just because, uh, you know, you, you really, you look at, you look at everyone that came before you, you know, we, we all stand on the shoulders. Um, and so just because I've been doing security for, you know, Oh, geez, I don't want to say how long now, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> it used to be 25 years. Now that's turned into 30 years. Um, it, just because you've, you've been doing it a long time doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you, you know it all. And business doesn't work that way fundamentally anyway. There's no level of technical expertise that is going to prepare you for human communication and, and uh, the vastness that is, you know, business decisions and the intricacies involved in those. And it's interesting because it's almost like different languages, right? Board level, C-suite, they're talking about expansion, keeping down expenses, new digital transformation to, to help uh, grow, reducing EBITDA. And, and then the CIO comes up talking about some of the technical components here. And as a role of CISO, you're looking at this and say, how do I make sure I convey in the proper way? It's not like, don't do this. It's more, I need to understand the technical components and the threat environment for our organization so I can make sure the board is appropriately um, informed about potential risk and then some countermeasures. Maybe they can re- reduce it. Yeah. And that's kind of a challenge, right? To figure out, okay, we're, we're pretty good here. We're a very mature security program and we're doing pretty well. But now I just heard somebody say something. We're about to expand overseas. Whoa, what does that mean? I know the CIO, I see what he's doing. I see what the CTO is doing. They're taking notes and figure out what they're going to be doing new infrastructure they're going to be laying out. And all of a sudden you're starting to think, oh, hold it. We may start using developers somewhere else. Our data may layer somewhere else. And it explodes in your mind like, holy crap. Yeah. How in this very short period of time do I communicate to slow down or make sure I have enough bandwidth to understand what the CIO is about to do, which call it in response to what the board and C-suite is saying we're about to go do from a business standpoint. So talk about this I like what you said. overload of... Because the easy assumption is the CTO and CIO. Uh, but where are you more likely to get bit? Probably, or, or I don't want to say bit, I'm not saying it's uh, it's a bad thing, but where where do you need to really think about engaging that, you know, it's, it's really legal and marketing, uh, yeah. you know, because the likelihood that the CTO <laughs> or CIO pulls you in higher. Um, 
marketing is one of the fastest moving aspects of any company. And if, if you want to look at the bleeding edge of any company, you know, it, it can be different depending on the business type. But I think in a in tech companies, especially um, and anything that's that's uh, consumer based is certainly, you know, marketing is, is important. Um, they, they just move so fast. It, it, it's it's a critical component that I think uh, gets overlooked. Now, I already admitted I have a soft spot for marketing, so maybe that's a bias. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, legal, legal, legal is securities, you know, best friend. Um that I cannot overstate how important that relationship is. It's it's really really critical. It, it, that's the amazing thing about security these days. We have, especially you know, you and I being old school technologists. You know, that's where we yeah. default. But the amount of HR things I've been looped into, um, you know, uh, I think you know very well. Big Commerce had a, a large Ukraine presence, and and uh, we we still do. Um, so that was certainly one of the most difficult things that that big commerce as a company and and I'd say me in, in terms of my career have gone through. Um, and we can come back to the, the the Ukraine and geopolitics conversation, but I, I wanted to highlight something because we we always like to talk about the CISO because of course that's who's you know sitting here on the podcast. But the the think about the challenges from you, you mentioned, you know, both the board and, and the C level, think about the challenge from their standpoint, you know, you've got a bunch of executives that probably went to business school and been around the block several times and, and they know what they're doing, but they don't know security beyond the headlines and their level of, of fear or paranoia or, or risk aversion, you know? Um, and so it, that's a huge part of it is, Trying to come up, what I strive to do is trying to come up with some kind of shared language. I, I always say, you know, you need you need some kind of Rosetta Stone. And the and the thing is, I think, you know, most most CISOs try and put together what they think um, is is that you know that Rosetta Stone. Um, but you really need a, a feedback loop uh, from those people telling you whether they understand the language or not. You know, um, it's it's fluid. I think. The issue with securities, we are we're always looking for a silver bullet, right? We're always looking for the prescription. The, the problem with security versus all the other business functions is it isn't necessarily performance based, right? So you can go to the board and show a lot of metrics, financial metrics, sales metrics, marketing metrics, and they understand those and they can dissect those and you can have an intelligent, well-informed business conversations around those. It's not necessarily the case with security. You know, you can you can talk about how good you're doing, um, but from the attacker seat, you know, it's right. it's att- attackers are like water. You know, the, it's it's not about where the sandbags are, are piled the highest. Um, it's it's about generally speaking where you're the weakest. Having those kind of conversations and trying to figure out a common language where, and I think this is really why the CISO role has been challenged in terms of little C, big C, you know, having a seat at the table, any kind of, you know, mm-hmm. classic analogy we want to throw at it. That's been the real challenge. Um, can you, can you properly communicate at that level and, 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 and get through something that is not necessarily performance based and be able to essentially have, the executive team and the board along with, with you and, and your function and, and program 
come to a level of understanding around where you want the program to be. Um, so let's let's take retail for example. I think fraud is actually a really interesting. I always try and look at other industries. You know, uh, yeah. maritime disasters have always been fascinating to me in terms of incident response. Um, how many times do people use the ambulance analogies? You know, those sorts of things. Yeah. But as I said, we're a young industry. We should probably look at the other industries that have figured out these sort of things before us. Um, and I, I think that's uh, what we should do here as well. And so. You know, you want to be able to, to, to draw on uh, mistakes and conclusions and, and what, what others are doing. I, I mentioned that. That might sound, you know, like obvious. Yeah. But, you know, you and I have been around long enough. That it was not that long ago. People were thinking security is special. How many people called themselves yeah. wizards yes. or whatever BS <laughs> tagline, Yes. I mean, come on, you know, like I said, I, I come from the old scene. How many people still have, you know, you can still ask people what their handle was. Uh, we're still growing out of that, you know, and, and that's that's not where any of these other business people came from. Um, you know, they were they were doing different things as teenagers. <laughs> and so definitely. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got to you've got to figure out some kind of language. Um I'll tell you what I think. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Of course, people love frameworks for that kind of thing. Um, frameworks are frameworks. It's not, it's not, they're useful, uh, but they are not the, the silver bullet we're looking for. And so you really need to be able to talk about it in terms of what the business thinks its risk is. It's, it's, and what it, what it wants its risk appetite to be. So why did I make the, the mention of fraud? Well, historically, retail has always dealt with fraud, right? And a zillion different types. The business tolerance for fraud can be dynamic and move. And, and that's kind of the whole point. If the business is in trouble, it, it might really crack down on fraud. If the business is growing like gangbusters, it might have a higher tolerance. If they're doing sales, all sorts of variables involved in that. Security can be a, a, a similar thing. Uh, certainly based on the understanding of the, the management team, budget, the business type, all those variables. And so, you know, we're not building Fort Knox here. The question is essentially, you know, how much security do you want? And it's the same question you and I have to ask ourselves at personal levels. How much car insurance do we want? How much home insurance do we want? Uh, how much life insurance do we want? Nobody really enjoys that stuff. Uh, but you know, bad things happen, uh, and you've got to have some level of, of preparedness. And as I mentioned, you know, again, it's human nature. Um, generally it takes bad things to happen. I, I always joke, you know, we're humans, right? We don't put on the, uh, the, 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 the bug spray until we're generally already scratching and itching. And, and we, how often do we put on the uh, sunscreen after we're already burned, you know, and we learn these lessons over and over and over again. Uh, so it's it's like anything else throughout human history. It's uh, it's a lot of iteration. So you know what's fascinating about that is the fact that these other industries and other areas of our life has baked in the cost of mitigating the risk, and now we don't think about it, right? So if you think about the nine eleven attack, right, we're still paying a fee, right, to help pay for security at the airport. It's over two decades now. Yeah. Or. The amount we spend on the military for to help uh, defend operations over the sea for commerce, right? That's baked in, right? That's your cost of doing business that doesn't go away. 
So you start to think about what have we known other aspects of life that we've actually taken away. Uh, we kind of get used to yeah. it. And now it's like just, it's a cost, right? You just, you forget about it almost. I, I have to give you a quick one of those, what grains my gears comments um, and what's holding us back mm-hmm. to a great extent yeah. is these vendors, especially large ones um, that are charging nickel and diming their customers for security features, fundamentals like logging. Uh, I, I cannot stress enough how bad this is for good security. Um, and I get, you know, you and I understand the business realities, um, but we're never, this is never going to get to any decent level um, if we can't figure out how to, to scale good security at a, at a level that supports these companies uh, that are selling things. Um, you know, I, it, it's just, let, let me, I, I think Salesforce, I'm, I'm going to call them out here because I think they're probably the best example of this how many companies rely on Salesforce and how much money is Salesforce making on charging them for logging? Uh, you know, I, it just blows my mind. That is logging is table stakes and, and no vendor, whether they're security vendor or infrastructure or SaaS should be, you know, raking their customers over the coals for, for logging. I, I just, I don't understand how that's tolerated. Um, and again, you know, this is difficult because everybody, I I remember this was an issue, certainly when I was in the vendor space, you come up with something new and it's differentiating and it's, oh, we've prototyped this cool thing, or we've got this proof of concept of this new fancy feature. And immediately the executive team is like, all right, you know, sounds like a separate skew to me. Uh, you know, and you really have to look at those things and say, well, you know, can we differentiate on it? Can we, uh, can we market on it? Can we sell on it? it? It's not necessarily about nickel and diming your, your customers. You and I see this on a consumer front as well. You know, how many people were happy to cut the cord on cable and now are paying a zillion subscription fees for streaming? You know, yeah, that's very true. And, and so, like, at some point, you, you've you've got to push back, and there's got to be a there's got to be balance. All of life is about balance, um, and when we swing the pendulum too hard to the other side. Right. If we, you and I know if we want to secure something, you know, drop it in a safe and down to the bottom of the river and, mm-hmm. you know, and even then we're not confident, you know, that you can't you can't go that far and you can't leave things wide open. Security is about balance. And I think these companies that are are, are looking to make more money off of security features that that should be table stakes at this point. It's really disheartening. It's interesting you mentioned logging because in the technology world, logging is the way we get visibility, right? It's everything that matters, we, we, we have to manage. And to manage, we got to measure it. We got to see it. We got to be able to explore what's different. And if somebody has 40, 50, 60 security controls, I got to be logging out of all of those, right? And then centralize it and make, make sense out of it. And then we're looking back from a leadership role in, in IT and, and the security suite, like, holy crap, we can't keep up with this. So we deployed the tech, but it's kind of hard to figure out what's the performance of the security system. It could be literally 40, 50, 60 vendors, right? And as you talk about logging and calls, and at the end of the day, everything we want to add on adds to the bottom line. And it goes back to the business, right? The business is thinking of security as as a expense. So they already uh, calculated the return on investment, return on investment uh, required to figure out total cost of ownership. So your new digital initiative has a total cost of ownership of X. 
but they're doing that because all these stakeholders put their inputs in, right? Okay, marketing, how much you need, uh, sales, how much you need. Hey, Dan, how much do we need for security to support this initiative? You got to tell them X amount of dollars, right? Yeah. And then you could come back too high, like, oh my God, this new security tool, I got to pay extra for logging or some other feature, and it could be out of whack. And then they're looking at you like, Dan, you're throwing off our total expenses, we're throwing off our TCL. And guess what? Our ROI for our business leaders is like, it's not a good return because you're you're driving too much expenses here. And you're not really articulating what that risk is. I think that this is another big difficulty where companies, especially, I think the, the Fortune, uh, com- especially Fortune 100, this is fascinating. Again, they they no one besides security vendors have figured out how to differentiate on security. The fact that they are nickel and diming us on simplistic things like logging and they don't have CISOs on their websites, I think highlights to you and I, certainly as security people, that you know you have to ask yourself, what, what is their level of interest in security? What is their level of investment? So we've buried ourselves in you know, requesting, uh, you know, doing these questionnaires and a zillion different reports and trying to prove a level of due diligence. I don't understand why these companies just don't come out and say, hey, we actually want to be good at this. Uh, so let's take a couple of examples, and I'm just going to continue dropping names and picking on some of the bigger ones. I don't know how many more breaches T-Mobile needs to, you know, wake up and take things seriously. Um, you know, will any of us ever forgive Equifax? I don't know, but they went out and hired, you know, Jamil, and he's making a go of it. I mean, he, you know, he is yeah. he is a marketing machine and he is is probably one of the best well-known post-breach CISOs out there. And, you know, whether we ever forgive Equifax, I don't know. You know, don't say stupid things in front of Congress is what I would advise CEOs. But yeah. um, they're making a concerted effort, you know, um, and I think that's the whole point, really, for any of these companies. It's just like I said about the silver bullet. And the, the silver bullet for these companies is the CISO. Historically, that's why we saw it as this revolving door role. College football coach analogy, I always say, you know, oh, oh, fire yes. the coach. Let's let's see if we can't win the playoffs with a different one, you know, and, and, and recycle that. It's It's got to be a concerted company effort. One person cannot win you the championship. Um, and I think those really large companies, um, they basically wait around to get regulated which we're not particularly good at in the U.S. at the moment. And um, until they're regulated, they just don't see the point. And they don't see the point because they don't see the dollar signs. But I would love to see a couple of them make a go at it um, and say, hey, we take this seriously and and nobody's going to be perfect at it. But, you know, we're doing something and and make make security, you know, a a tagline, make it a part of what makes your company special. you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sitting here, so I'll plug big commerce, but our, our CEO does it all the time. Um, you know, do you, do you want a platform with, with good uptime and, and security? That's part of our, part of our messaging. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you know, how many more times are T-Mobile customers going to put up with this? Uh, it's, it, I just find it an interesting dynamic from a consumer standpoint. At what point do we, do we say, you know, like there's no hiding yourself on the internet anymore. How much all of our data seems to be open to everyone at this point because it's all been uncovered in breaches. 
So it's not like uh, really we have to, it's a, a leadership uh, responsibility, right? To set the tone and say we're intentionally going to be good at something, right? It's like being good about the quality control of a car, right? The cars are safe. Planes are safe for a reason, right? They put the time in. They design it specifically for that. You just nailed it. So it seemed like enough. heavy regulated right. industries. And so. So that's the question, right? Yeah. So those industries, they were told to do it. Well, like financial industry, they're told to do it and they look very sharp. Organization looks good. Investment looks good. But I'm almost wondering, Dan, I mean, if we didn't make people do an annual pen test, are there a certain percentage of companies who would never do a pen test? Oh, I mean, <laughs> does Facebook have a <laughs> You know, I mean, you, I, I think, I think, um, I think there's, you know, the last 25 years of tech have been pretty mind blowing, right? Lots of growth, lots of money, um, but not much responsibility. You know, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, Zucky wants to make the metaverse and, and Musky wants to, you know, go to, to space and, and ruin Twitter. Um, they just don't come across as very responsible individuals, do they? Um, uh, since I'm name dropping everybody, Bezos on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, uh, right, they're not even responsible with their employees. Um, certainly not with our data. And, and so what are we seeing? And, and I'm, I'm pushing the point to make the point because I'm sure someone listening to this is getting irritated at this point. Uh, I, I'm, I'm basically saying regulation is coming and we've done it to ourselves. You nailed it. Generally speaking, industries that are heavy regulated are where human life are on the line. And, and the issue now is not that we've always looked at computers and security as well. It's not life threatening, you know, therefore. Well, that's the problem. Now you've got ransomware that is is disrupted, you know, uh, pipelines and hospitals. And uh, I think there are a lot of people out there that would argue that, that there is uh, life at stake. But I think more importantly for the, the feds, there's GDP at stake. And, yes. and they do not want our GDP messed with, uh, especially by foreign entities. Uh, and they want as much control over that as possible. And so regulation is coming, and and I would I would argue with anyone that you know if you don't like it, then look at the last twenty five years of our our neglect from a tech industry standpoint. We put the valley on a pedestal because they make lots of money, but you know we've all seen Silicon Valley, one of the greatest shows ever, because of the accuracy uh, and the lunacy yes. involved. That show highlights exactly everything that's wrong with the valley and where we've historically come as a tech industry. And that no one's ever been in it to actually make anything better. They've been in it to make a lot of money. And, and that can only go so far is kind of my point to this. And so what does the next 10 years look like? Yeah, probably more and more creeping regulation coming in uh, because, you know, the SEC has lost patience. Yep. And that's interesting. You, go, you start to go back to GDP, right? So now we're talking about embedded tech everywhere. So embedded tech has connectivity. That connectivity connects to other things. That connectivity must be managed by somebody. The code must be developed for it, must be updated. It must stay up all the time. And guess what? The attackers are constantly looking to exploit code. So now, how long before, like you talk about loss of life, right? So embedded inside the tractor on the road or vehicle on the road gets hacked. Some hacker group accidentally 
um, does something to the control system that causes an accident and loss of life. And all of a sudden you get a new regulation with a new acronym, right? With another framework. And guess what, Dan? That framework and guidance is going to look very familiar to what we've been talking about for the last couple of decades, right? Make sure we have governance over who can update code, identity governance, data governance. It's going to be the same thing over and over again, but going to have a new acronym, but the same stuff for 80% of the things. So yeah. that's a good point that you bring up, right? It's going to be regulation going to be invited because we're moving too slow as an industry to take the accountability up front to build the quality in. So now they're going to force us to do it, right? Yeah. And so I, you guys are, I specifically yeah. want to point yeah. out tech has, has been negligent on this front. Um, we know that security matters in every industry, but I think tech had an opportunity to set the path and, and pave that road, and they just haven't done it. They'd rather send out emails notifying us about how they've been breached and our data is out on the internet. And that's, I think that's where my personal disappointment comes in. The fact that you and I have spent our careers in tech. And uh, I think, you know, I was hopeful that, hey, I get it if the other industries pick it up when they need to pick it up. But but tech should have been at the forefront. Um, they should be setting the example. Uh, and I, I just haven't seen it. And I'd be surprised if anyone could debate that in a serious manner. Uh, I, I don't think any of us have seen it. You know, how many how many breach notifications have you gotten in your email and mail the last couple of years? Yeah, quite, quite a few. Right. <laughs> and you assume with all this, all these data privacy issues with, you know, data privacy requires underlying security, right? So if the underlying security just so-so and got the breach, and I guess you no longer have privacy, right? All your information is out there. Yeah. So I think you're, you really hit, hit it on the, uh, hit on the bullseye. So it's going to be forced upon us but to get the quality across the board up. Do you want to... Uh, so I think this does... Sorry to interrupt you, Bum. I was going to ask you if you want to close this awesome conversation out on the uh, very touchy subject of geopolitics. Definitely. So um, so you're, we got some young people who are looking to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to jump into this CISO role, but kind of give us some insights because they're going to turn the news on and see <laughs> a one country invading another country. And we're talking about f 16 and drones and troops, and you find out some of your workers there, some of your uh, value of commerce is over there. Kind of talk about this whole new world of nation state and warfare in the lap of a CISO, well, right? I'll tell you the reason why I want to bring it up. And you know, it's one of my favorite topics. I didn't think that I, I, I have a history in geopolitics. I've always been fascinated with it. I'm a student of the Cold War, especially, you know, the and um, <clears throat> I didn't think I would I would get to uh, use any of that at, at uh, a, a retail and e-commerce platform like Big Commerce. But then, of course, you know, Russia invades Ukraine and here we are. Um, it, it's bigger than that, though. I, I think for any young person out there, go watch war games and go read or, or, or watch Cliff Stoll's presentation on Cuckoo's Egg. Nothing's changed. Uh, <laughs> it, it is as it was in the 80s. Um, but what has changed is the level at which other companies can now, uh, for lack of a better term, mess with each other from a cyber standpoint and not just spying. So we, we historically think about you know, spying being the obvious thing here. Obviously, uh, China and Russia, big names here. Uh, Russia for the, the spying and the, the cybercrime aspect, uh, they really, uh, I think, kind of you know, you've got North Korea and Cuba that literally prop up their their countries with cybercrime. Um, 
people don't think of Cuba, but I mean, look up how many ransomware attacks have been based out of Cuba, you know, the last couple of years. It's it's a thing. Nigeria, uh, potentially. I don't know how much of that is personal cybercrime versus, versus potentially nation state. And now the fact that, that Russia is sanctioned at the level they are, um, it's possible that, that they're even propping up their own economy with, with cybercrime. I, I don't know. Uh, for anyone out there, I think good resources on this, certainly Dmitry uh, Alpervach is, is one of the best. Um, and I think from a geopolitics standpoint, I'd mention, uh, mention uh, Peter Zihan, uh, which I know tons of CEOs and VCs uh, uh, follow. So I would mention it to everyone else. You should probably do the same. I think the difference now, in other words, what's different in terms of, you know, when you and I were coming up during the Cold War as to what's happening now. The difficulty, of course, we know we have issues with China and Russia, but the problem really becomes we have not seen cyber warfare at scale or any of the real powers being able to flex that. Um, we all know that they're highly capable. Uh, since the 80s, uh, the U.S. has taken a very offensive approach rather than defensive. Um, the U.S. is very good at it. Uh, very, very good at it. And uh, I don't I don't think other countries want to find out how good uh, or how prepared. Um, but it's naive to think that they're not as well. And I think that will be the the not to fear monger here, folks. I'm not I'm not trying to do that. But I am trying to highlight the fact that there are capabilities and things that we do know about that haven't been seriously leveraged in scale. Um, I think a great example that very few people know about is uh, Project Ababil, which uh, was back in 2013, 2014. The largest and longest, most public running campaign in, in probably internet history. It was over a year of DDoS attacks against US banking infrastructure. What was it really? A lot of people think, um, depending on who you ask, that it was really Iran testing the US um, ISP and internet infrastructure. Um, and so at least initially, and so the, 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 they were, you know, it was really the middleman, uh, so to speak, being tested. They are not necessarily just the banks, but at the same time, right. You press the banks. If you're trying to attack capitalism, so to speak, that's a good target. Um, if it got serious, potentially retail can be a good target. So uh, I, I think what's interesting now is that the idea of what critical infrastructure is changing in a lot of people's minds. And I would argue, and I'm not a DC person, um, I've, I've had to spend some time there, but it's it's not core of, of, of what I do or who I am. But I think there's a lot of people that look at the economics now as, as, as a potential weak spot. So it's not just about defending, yes, our water and our power, um, but it's also about defending, you know, uh, uh, the, the economy that's wrapped around all those things, right? Buildings don't produce, cars don't produce, humans produce, right? And if your humans can't produce, your GDP is going to plummet. So you got to have your water, you got to have your power, and you have to have the infrastructure that they leverage in order to produce that GDP. So I think things are maturing in terms of the way the feds are thinking about this. It, it might not have occurred to us as everyday citizens yet, but I think that's why you're going to see information security continues to be a nonpartisan uh, issue that gets pushed every single administration. Um, and again, I, I think that regulation comes and it's not just for the things that we might, what have I been complaining about privacy, <laughs> you know, those sorts yeah. of things. If, if the, if the feds cared about privacy, we'd have a law, 
that's not what they're after. They they want to protect the, the GDP, I think. Um, and, and of course, we all know that's worth protecting and matters a ton. But if if there was ever a serious kind of war scenario, I don't I don't want to, you know, again, fear monger here. But I think that that's a real possibility. And that's what they want to prevent, uh, just as much as they want to prevent the other terrible, you know, kind of uh, outcomes that could occur. So it sounds like the role of the CISO is going to be very busy over the next decade. Um, and I can assume that a lot of those small C's are going to become larger C's. Um, very multi-skilled role, business language, technical language, geopolitical knowledge. Uh, so it's like an exciting time for this particular role. Uh, so I think a lot of people looking at this should think of it as a good challenge, I would say. Yeah. Right. You're not. Let me let, let me summarize, given the fact that I have fear-mongered a bit uh, on various fronts. It, it, it all comes down to situational awareness. That's really my point about any of this stuff. So, you know, security is a very, can be a very scary thing. It, it's not about that, you know. Everyone loves the Tom Clancy stories, sure. But what I'm really trying to press here is situational awareness is everything. So depending on your business, depending on uh, where you're doing business um, and the various geopolitical stresses with that, you uh, you know, there could be, it might not even be that sort of, it, it could be local stresses, cyber terrorism, so many various dynamics. And so my real point here is a situational awareness. You could be doing, you could be sponsoring a sporting event and that sporting event, let's say the Olympics or the World Cup is, is targeted by activists. And then all of a sudden you're getting defacements or DDoS or or scams related to it. And that's something that you might not have taken into account as a sponsor, but here you are. And and it's just oddball things like that that you have to take into account. And again, you know, that could be a marketing effort and is marketing taking those things into account, yeah. you know? Um, so that I think security, the really what needs to happen given the infancy that we are in as an industry is that everybody needs that situational awareness. What you see in the news is is reflected on the internet fundamentally. I sound like uh, it's thankful we have the CISO around, right? Because that's the one person who has to, when they hear about all these new initiatives, new changes in the business business model, what's going on in the environment itself, someone has to be there just to, you know, take a look and make sure we're doing due diligence from a business risk management standpoint. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty excited about this role, Dan. I know we could probably talk about this for another couple of hours. I got so many questions I want to ask you, but I think it's a good place to kind of segue to the end here. Um uh, you have a passion for this. So uh, if people want to just reach out to you and uh, uh, have a beer with you and to talk about some of these cool topics, where can they reach you? Uh, well, I, I used to be Twitter was a thing, mm-hmm. but uh, who knows what's happening there. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, uh, you and I are both Austinites. Uh, Austin is is near and dear to me. Uh, so yeah, if anyone's ever in Austin and, and uh, wants to sync up, uh, hit me on LinkedIn. Hey, Dan, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, putting uh, putting up with my uh, ramblings on uh, so many different topics here, William. Hey, great knowledge, man. We got to share. <laughs> All right, everybody. This has been another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. If you want to find out more information, you can go to williamreed.info. And until next week, everybody, have a great day.